Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Before we begin, I've got some big news. I have just written my first book, Happy Not Perfect, Upgrade Your Mind, Challenge Your Thoughts and Free Yourself from Anxiety. The book will teach you my easy flex method for more flexible thoughts that will help change your thinking to transform your life. You'll read about my own journey from stress, low self-esteem and negativity and how I was able to turn it around by learning how my mind worked from world-leading experts like my podcast guests and understanding what would help my mind work better for me. If you've enjoyed my show, please pre-order the book in the link in the show notes. I can't wait for you to read it and start practicing a flexible mindset. From years of working in this field, but also just speaking to so many different people suffering with so many different mental health problems, for me, the common themes are exactly the same. They all have unprocessed trauma. They all struggle to build intimate relationships with themselves, and they all have the overriding presence of an extremely critical internal voice. And when those things are treated, something starts to shift. And I think when you're prepared to sit in the darkness with somebody rather than dragging them out of it, then that's when the real transformation becomes possible. Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, the founder of award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. And this show is about upgrading our mind, our energy and our understanding of how we can live life to our fullest potential. Over the next few weeks, I'm interviewing thought leaders, scientists, nutritionists and experts to share tips and tricks for how we can shed the old and step into the new. I hope you join me on the journey. On this week's episode, I have Emmy Brunner, a psychotherapist, personal empowerment and transformational coach, author and speaker with over 20 years of experience. 
I have to say, this episode tingled my soul and cells. We explore trauma and why trauma is usually what lies at the root of mental illness. Emmy specializes in recovering from anxiety, eating disorders, and depression. And during this episode, we talk about how often eating disorders are not treated in possibly the best way. I found it truly fascinating listening to what Emmy had to say. Emmy founded the Recover Clinic and strongly advocates for a holistic approach to treatment, whereby everyone is considered as a whole person, taking into account body, mind, and spirit. In this episode, we discuss her new book, which is fantastic, Find Your True Voice. And we talk about what kind of steps we can all take to heal from the past. No one is immune to experiencing trauma, micro or macro. So I hope you find this chat as healing and reassuring as I did. Emmy is a true force for good. I can't wait for you to be introduced to her. What's a favorite quote you return to often and why? Leonard Cohen, uh, there's a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in. Because I think there's this idea of having to be fully composed to be okay or not allowing any kind of breaks in your vulnerability or being able to be open. And actually it's when we kind of break things down that we become illuminated. And I think that quote just sums it up perfectly. I think as well for clients, it's like, when I'm working in a clinical relationship with somebody, people are so scared of being vulnerable and they're so scared of falling apart. And that's actually in allowing yourself to let go a little bit that the healing begins. And I think when you can start to recognize that in yourself and take that first initial leap, you really get in flow and everything starts to slowly get better. I love what you've just said then. It's when you start to let things go a bit, that's when healing can begin. That is so powerful. And our culture kind of tells us to do the opposite, like hold it together at all costs. And we just remain stuck. And this is why your work is so powerful, because it is completely shattering old opinions. Yeah, I hope so. I think um, it's a it's a much more evolved idea of healing. Um, When I was doing my clinical training and coming up, it was still a very kind of white male medically dominated environment mental health there was something just intuitively that just didn't work about that for me and I think when you embrace kind of creativity and a more kind of fluid idea of what healing is it's so much more accessible to people than they realize and that's what I get yeah that's what makes me really excited that I get really kind of turned on by that stuff I just think it's amazing what's what people are capable of on their own that they just didn't realise before. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently? To focus on the joy, I think. I've seen women very guilty of this, the kind of grind of must get things done. We've got to get the kids off to school. We've got to get work done. We've got to get dinner on the table. Whatever it is, those kind of daily chores. And we forget to just enjoy the ride. And I think that is so important because none of that other stuff really, really, really matters if you're not enjoying the ride. And kicking your shoes off and having dance around your kitchen with your kids is so much more nurturing and joyful and important than any of the kind of life admin that you get bogged down with, that you feel the weight of, of pressure of. 
and I'm reminded of that all of the time. I think that life lesson of making sure that I enjoy the ride, because I think it's easy, you know, even for me with everything, all my own insight and work that I've done on myself, I still recognise myself being drawn into that. And it is lifelong. Like we get a lot of emails from students uh, who are saying kind of exactly that, feeling completely overwhelmed and totally forgetting to actually enjoy being a student, you know, in that kind of age where, you know, you do have a lot of schoolwork, but also there's such formative years and like learning about yourself in loads of different ways. So that feels just such a relevant life lesson, despite what point you are in life. A hundred percent. And there's ways of kind of taking responsibility for whatever it is you're doing at that point in your life, but also balancing it with how much does it really matter? I remember these decisions you make as a young person feel just so pivotal and so important. And I really wished I'd had an adult at that point going, do you know what? It's going to be all right. Whatever happens, if you can focus on what makes you joyful and happy, you're not going to have to really worry about too much else. And that's the little secret no one tells you as a young person, you know, because we really still motivate our young people with fear. You know, if you don't go to university, you're going to end up homeless and without a job. And it's like, actually, that doesn't happen. <laughs> and I think, yeah, motivating young people by getting them to base decisions on what they really enjoy and what makes them happy is such a better schooling for life, I think. Totally, totally agree. How do you define happiness? Um, for me, happiness is just like a, a sense where you're able to be yourself and you're able to feel seen and heard in your world, however that is. For me, that is a really special place to be where you're able to articulate your needs and have the people around you respond and respect them. What an amazing gift to find yourself in that place. And I think empowering people to create that world for themselves is something that is really overlooked that we should be doing, you know, for people. And something so important for me, why I do stuff on social and why I do all these free webinars is because that's what I want to help young people to do or anybody at any stage in your life, you're, you're able to do that. I love what you said, um, you know, your sadness actually helps contribute to your happiness. And I think we're finally, and you're such a strong leader in breaking down this conversation around feeling happy all the time or trying to be positive all the time, which is toxic in itself and doesn't kind of lead this fake positivity, doesn't often lead to more happiness. Yeah, I'd say, do you know what? I'd say I'm a, in just at my base level, I'm quite a positive person. I feel like I, I like to see the world in a certain way, but that doesn't mean that nothing ever bugs me or irritates me or I don't get frustrated with lockdown or whatever it is I do. But I think it's about, tolerating the gray and allowing yourself to kind of go move in that ebb and flow and I think when you do that and you let go and you're able to do that that's where you feel most content and peaceful completely so the way you approach therapy is slightly different to what people may be used to and this is why I found your work fascinating when I was learning about you what's the difference between taking an approach that's healing from the core as you would say compared to treating symptoms historically well and, and still is the case when people have a mental health crisis the approach is to try and minimize their symptoms so for example if they're highly anxious the treatment is to stop them feeling so anxious or create strategies to manage anxiety 
rather than really looking at actually this is an established strategy for coping for a person. So what we describe as mental health problems, in my mind, are strategies for coping. They might not be very nice and they might cause somebody all kinds of other problems, but they are essentially strategies. And for example, somebody with an eating disorder, if they are heavily restricting their food and they go into a residential program and they are refed, that strategy that's been serving them a purpose is snatched away from them overnight. It can be extremely traumatic. Whereas if you're in a position where you can allow somebody to develop different strategies for coping, it makes the destructive tools redundant. They become no longer necessary. Somebody is able to put them down because they populate their lives with other things. That for me is a far better model of treatment and makes so much more sense to me than anything else. And from years of working in this field, but also just speaking to so many different people suffering with so many different mental health problems, for me, the common themes are exactly the same. They all have unprocessed trauma. They all struggle to build intimate relationships with themselves. And they all have the overriding presence of an extremely critical internal voice. And when those things are treated, rather than how many calories they might be eating that day or a course of CBT to manage their, you know, the worst fears and outcomes that they can imagine, something starts to shift. And I think when you're prepared to sit in the darkness with somebody rather than dragging them out of it into a space that's more comfortable, then that's when the real transformation becomes possible. Absolutely. I mean, when I first heard you talk about eating disorders, I mean, I have spent years years and years hearing stories because you hear about people just being for as you said forced to do the behavior they've not wanted to do and it's traumatized them even more and it's that that kind of thing where I just feel it played my childhood like eating disorders are so contagious like one girl in the school um you know experienced one and then suddenly we all became so so aware of our weight at such a young age because of it and I just thought when I heard you say it, it was a quite big of a, an aha moment to me because actually no one ever said to us, why are we having such toxic relationships with ourselves?" At the core of all of these things, maybe it's eating disorders, maybe it's self-harm, maybe it's, you know, OCD. What is the trauma usually at the heart of these things? It's different for everybody. We all experience trauma throughout life. Um, I think there's a fundamental sort of misunderstanding when people talk about trauma, they people imagine kind of wars and catastrophic events and earthquakes and things like this. And actually trauma happens in our lives all the time. Moving house for a child could be very traumatic. Moving school can be very traumatic for a child. What's really, really key is do we have the resources to process that trauma when it comes up? And is our trauma, is our experience being validated by those around us so most commonly when really difficult things happen one of the most traumatic things isn't necessarily just the event it's about how the people around us respond so for the people around us to validate how we're feeling and say actually yeah that's totally understandable you're feeling like that that's really really difficult what do you need do you need a hug do you need me to take some action what do you need when that doesn't happen a young person internalizes that trauma. And because the people around them aren't validating their experience, they become the problem. This is my problem. 
Everybody else is acting like this isn't an issue. So the problem must be me. Child's world's very small. And then we repeat that kind of response into adulthood and we will seek out people and experiences to repeat feelings that we're really familiar with. We're seeking out the same people all of the time because we will be drawn to what is familiar, even when what is familiar isn't right for us. How much do you think culture has to take responsibility in terms of feeling not enough is a huge reason, I think, for many of these kind of coping strategies that we then engage in. Feeling not enough, do you believe that is like culture's fault that, you know, we live in this consumer society or is it the way that, I don't know, we've been parented or kind of what do you think some of the reasons are for these kind of, I guess, like toxic mental health core beliefs that we so many of us hold? I think it's funny, isn't it? When they, when I was growing up, it was like our oh, magazines to blame, you know, uh, whatever it is, is the internet to blame for how we all feel. <laughs> and it's like they are feeding us what we already want. Mm. So the, the reason these things happen is because they're responding to a need within us. So we are always articulating a really negative narrative, which is then reflected back to us by the media within our culture. I think what's happened over the last sort of 15 years is that we've become more and more fragmented as a society. And where we were, when we were growing up, you maybe went to girl guides or your local youth club, or maybe you went to a church, whatever it was, you belong to a community of people. And that's not really happening anymore. And so we're much more isolated than we ever were before. And we exist in this kind of bubble where we feel like we're connecting because we're online. But actually, humans thrive off human connection or physical connection. And so I think part of it is that we are left with this very critical narrative that's being built and built and built. And what's happening from a consumer aspect is we're being sold things constantly to try and change how we feel. Because at some point, we've not realised that actually the way to feel good is to turn inward, not out. So we have to look for the answers within ourselves if we want to heal. So my job as a clinician is to empower somebody to do that work. It's not to do it for them. I can't fix somebody. But what I can do is empower somebody to identify the shifts, the limiting beliefs that they have, the obstacles that they need to overcome to heal. And there's not really any other resources in society that are offering something like that. The church did a bit, but because it was a religious organisation, so many people just withdrew from it. But there's not really anything else offering that kind of spiritual insight and healing. So do you believe we can all release our trauma? And what are the steps that we can all take? Because obviously access to therapy is not available to everyone. And what can we do ourselves? I think there's loads that we can do ourselves. I think part of it, and I spoke to a woman last week who said, I know I need to fix something, I just don't know what to do. I was like, absolutely, of course. So first of all, it's trusting your own intuition. If you know that something isn't right or you've got an unsettled feeling, you don't need to be in a mental health crisis. That's reason enough for you to do some work on yourself and turn inward a little bit. But luckily, yes, therapy isn't available to everybody but there are lots of resources online now. So for example, I do loads of Q and A's. So anybody that writes in will get a response to a question and people will ask quite specific mental health questions that I'll respond to. 
but it's basically working on developing a more nurturing and compassionate relationship with yourself, however that looks for you. So becoming really mindful of that critical narrative and challenging it by introducing something really, really positive into your life. And even if that feels false and clumsy and weird at first because you're not used to it, just repetition will help you become more at home with that. And any kind of self-care practice of meditation, journaling, drawing, just playing around with different things and seeing what works for you are all really good strategies to do this work. So let's talk about developing a kind of a kinder voice with yourself because we all, um, and I think it's Julia Samuel who says this, we've all got a shitty committee that just fires insults. Like you shouldn't have done this. You should have done this. Why did you say this? You're not good enough. All of those things. Like, how do you start having a better relationship with that kind of horrible, potentially incredibly mean voice that we have inside? I think firstly, people don't even realise that that's happening to them. They're not even aware that they're in that cycle and that pattern. People have just got very used to being unkind to themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's just how things are. Mm -hmm. Um, We over criticize ourselves about everything we overthink everything we're so vigilant of any kind of mess ups or missteps and I think just becoming self-aware is such a powerful thing because as soon as you become aware and you realize just how present and persistent that critical voice is it empowers you to do something differently because when you become aware you can think to yourself right I'm going to create space now to have a choice to give myself another option So my response to that situation is that I'm an idiot, I've messed up. What might a compassionate response be? How might I speak to a really good friend who'd done the same thing? I'd tell her not to worry. I'd say it doesn't matter. And people find it very easy to be kind because as human beings, I think it's our baseline to be sweet. I think that's what we are as, as humans. I think we're kind to one another. We respond with kindness to other people's vulnerabilities. And as soon as we can kind of consciously begin to behave like that towards ourselves with enough time something shifts I was so unkind to myself I couldn't even imagine being nice to myself I would have found that embarrassing almost and shameful and now it's so second nature for me to be kind to myself because I've trained myself to do it Mm. but just remember that's never your starting point babies aren't born being unkind to themselves you've trained yourself to be unkind So you can train yourself to be different as well. I really love that. So touching upon this self-awareness point, what are some red flags that we may be holding on to unprocessed trauma? You go into situations that you know are going to be difficult, knowing that you might get hurt and you do it anyway. That's a massive flag. There's so many scenarios where people, particularly with relationships, when they discuss relationships, and I'll say, but you knew. And they go, yeah, I knew. I did it anyway. Why? It's, the, it's all in the why. Why did I do that? What was I, what was I seeking out? And I think we become aware that we're actually, we're seeking out to reinforce a narrative about ourselves that we already have. We already have an agenda, a script that we're living by. And so we will seek out people and places that reinforce that script. And as soon as you become conscious of that, it's very difficult to kind of ignore it and carry on doing it regardless, you become aware and then somehow you're inspired to make another decision. A lot of people are afraid 
to go and explore their trauma. I think sometimes if we, you know, even just you saying that red flag there and I'm like, oh, guilty. I'm definitely, you know, I've got things that I know I'm like, that's going to be, you know, self-destructive and I still do it. What would you say to people who just don't want to kind of look underneath the carpet? They'd rather just sweep things to the side and be like, I'll deal with that another day or it's only going to make things worse if I go back to that memory. I just don't want to think about it. Then you don't need to think about all of those difficult traumas. You start with baby steps. And what you can do today is to be a bit kinder to yourself and mindful about how you're treating yourself that's a really good place to start. I think when people think about trauma work, they imagine themselves sort of rocking in a therapy office, you know, over analyzing every difficult and painful event. Sometimes there's just no need to do that. That can be really traumatic within itself. Sometimes it's enough for somebody to just validate that actually that sounds really difficult. We don't need to talk about that. How was that for you to share that with me? How easy was it for you to even name that, for you to acknowledge even that? Do you know what? Something just got triggered for me. That feels a bit uncomfortable. Even that, that little offering that you just had is such a big step for people to just show a little bit of that vulnerability. It's that Cohen quote again. That's where the light comes in, just that little crack. And somehow we're human and somehow there's compassion in that, that softness. And on the other extreme, do you think also overanalysis can then also kind of steer into the unhealthy? Yeah, I think uh, I've over the years, I've spoken to lots of different people who've had lots of different kind of therapeutic interventions and, and heard some real horror stories of people unpacking trauma before they had any resources to, to manage it. Look, if you're doing trauma work, and you already know your strategies for coping are to restrict your food, to drink too much, to go out on dates with people you shouldn't, to get depressed, then they're your strategies for coping. So it makes no sense to start unpacking things. We already know what your tools are for coping. If you start to develop some more nurturing tools and you find yourself triggered, do you find yourself looking at something a little bit more and maybe you need to step up your meditation practice that week Maybe you uh, reach out and do some more restorative healing with an acupuncturist, whatever is working for you. When you can respond to your needs that intuitively in that way, then the work becomes a bit more accessible. But I think people rush into it because they, we love a quick fix, don't we? And we feel like if we go in there hard, then things are going to shift. And actually, that's all part of that critical narrative, really. We go in there, it doesn't work, and then we go, see I even did all this trauma work and I'm still a mess and it's like it's just the narrative that we've got that sets us up for failure really sabotage big 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 time you've touched on just so many relevant points and that you know what you just said the quick response to say this isn't working for me because our ego is so stuck in a pattern and almost is like fighting for you to keep in that narrative I would love to uh, talk to you about trauma comparison. You kind of feel embarrassed to be upset about something that appears so minor, you know, when other people have such worse trauma than me. What are your thoughts on trauma comparison? And do you think it's more of a more recent thing than we've maybe experienced before? I don't know that it's a recent thing. I think it's more um, obvious now because people are using social media platforms to share experiences. But I'll give you a kind of offering that would offer to a client, which is if 
I break my thumb, it doesn't hurt any less because someone else breaks their leg, right? So yes, we can identify that other people have had really catastrophic and traumatic experiences in their lives, but that doesn't then place worth or give our, our own experiences any less value. And what that smacks of to me is someone who hasn't had their trauma validated, because when our trauma isn't validated by the people around us, it's almost impossible for us to recognize it or acknowledge it ourselves. And the first thing we do is to seek out something else that's going to make us question whether our trauma has any validity. So it's that narrative again. I know what I'll do. I'll look up somebody who's had a horrendous experience. I'll remind myself that I haven't had that and therefore I should have no cause to feel upset or troubled by this incident. And it doesn't work like that. Trauma is totally subjected to a person's experience, their personal experience. And so it, whether that's kind of bullying, bullying is the absolute classic that people don't mention when I ask them about trauma. I'll always ask though, what was school like? To go into an environment in school where you are undermined or picked on or isolated, what a traumatic experience for years, quite often without intervention. People don't think to mention it. And actually it's so forming for how you then go on to have relationships with other people and the messages that you have about yourself become internalized. So, yeah, it's really about just recognising that any time you dismiss your own trauma experiences or compare them with others, it's just another way of that critical voice showing up and being unkind to you. We get so many emails about bullying. It is, I would say, every third message we receive is, can you talk more about bullying on this podcast? And probably for that reason, what you just said. There is an energy that a young person or anyone, because it happens in workplaces as well, those dynamics, when somebody's being bullied, they often find no matter where they go, the similar dynamic repeats itself. And that comes back to unprocessed trauma because there's certain people that get picked on and certain people that don't, aren't there? And I think when you've got a strong energy and you're confident and you're able to articulate your needs, then the bullies don't see you. They see the vulnerable person, the quiet person who can't stand up for themselves, can't voice their needs, and it's them that are going to be targeted. So there's already something playing out there that's worth looking at because as soon as you shift that dynamic, it shifts the pattern. We've seen that so many times with women who were bullied in school then going into jobs and finding similar patterns happening because we've got a script and we're seeking out people and experiences that are reinforcing those core beliefs that we have about ourselves. None of these are accidents. They're all part of an unconscious process that we're engaged in. Um, And I don't think people realise how powerful they are in the lives that they're leading. Soon as you shift your own perspective, soon as you start to treat yourself differently, everything changes. And I'll always say to people, the way you treat yourself is a communication to the rest of the world about what you deserve and respect. So people who are being bullied are really unkind to themselves. They're often trapped in patterns of self-loathing, destructive behaviours, and then people respond to them in that way. And that's not about blaming or saying this is your fault. It's the opposite. It's going, wow, if you can shift this, look how powerful things could be for you. Look how powerful you could be in creating the life that you actually want. And so much of the work now that I do 
because we have the clinic, the clinic runs, we have women coming in and having treatment at clinic in London and online internationally. And then I work with a really small group of, of women, helping them to overcome some of those limiting beliefs to reach their absolute highest potential. And not just in a mental health crisis, but around every area of their lives, their relationships, their as parents in their careers. And a lot of it is about shifting that script and rewriting it. What are three things you would advise someone to do, like even today, to start them on a new trajectory? Start future self-journaling. I love future self-journaling. I just think it's so helpful. What is that? How do you do that? You basically, every, every month, every 30 days, you focus on something that you want to shift or challenge about yourself. Uh, maybe it's a destructive pattern. Maybe it's about, I, I want to be, be more mindful. And then, you, and then you focus on that for a month. You write each day in your journal what it is you're working on. You write a gratitude list of things that make you feel good, that you're really grateful for in your life. And then you write in response to these prompts. Um, the person I am becoming is, when I think about my future self, I feel. I have an opportunity to be my future self today when I, and you fill those in and you do it every day. And that is so transformative. It kind of keeps you on track, um, keeps you focused on a, on a tangible goal and keeps some sort of forward momentum. And if you keep doing it, you will just shift things. Being mindful is, is such a big thing when it comes to wanting to shift and change behaviours. I'm always reluctant to be pinned down to this because different things work for different people at different points. So I meditate every day. I found that so difficult in the beginning to meditate because I was so anxious sitting with myself with torture and it took a long time for me to learn how to do it. What kind of meditation is this? Talk us through like what actually is it that you do? I change it all the time. I change it all the time. I used to, um, I really love music and I'm in a really musical home. My husband works in music, my kids play music. And so my kind of um, way to overcome meditation was to listen to music in, a, in a, a meditative space. So to be quiet and sit still and listen. And that's how I was able to do it because I like music and I found it very easy to listen and lose myself in music. And now I listen to loads of different stuff. I listen to like Deepak Chopra meditations. I listen to chanting, like anything really. Uh, a woman that I know did a flower meditation, which was filmed and uh, recorded in a, a flower field waking up in the morning with all the birds coming away, all the bees. And it was just so beautiful. I used that for ages. I loved it. So it, it really, really changes. And that's why kind of having a set of rules for one person doesn't work. You've got to play around and see what works for you and create your own kind of version of self-care. Oh, I love this. I'll put that all in the show notes. Um, you've got a book coming out next year as well, or well, this year. Yeah, it's coming out in May. And it's basically everything I've sort of learned over the years um, and everything we're talking about really just sort of condensed into a bit of a manual I guess so a step-by-step -step to really um, connecting with a true voice within you so that intuitive voice that so many of us ignore and don't have confidence in really be able to harness that and allow that to dictate your choices and behaviors and rewriting that script becoming aware of what yours is and really unpicking it and seeing what's useful what isn't 
um, because all of this, these are just strategies, like I said, and this, there doesn't have to be all this mystery around it. It's achievable for anybody to make these kind of changes in their lives if they want to. Well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes because everything you've just said has just been like, boom, 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 you know, like, and <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure everyone listening kind of may feel the same. Talking about kind of getting to know that intuitive voice, I think we are all quite vulnerable to misdiagnosing how we're actually feeling. For example, the word anxious obviously has become, you know, a second word for most people. And actually, really, maybe they're feeling lonely. It's not really anxiety, it's loneliness. Where do you think this confusion is coming from? And do you think there is this kind of like epidemic of misdiagnosis? I think, yeah, I think we pathologize things a lot more now than we ever did. I think people feel scared. I think people feel frightened. And if you think about what, you know, what are the symptoms of fear? Feeling physically unsettled, feeling sick, feeling like you need to get away from a certain place, feeling like you need to avoid. What are the symptoms of anxiety? exactly the same and so when people go oh I'm anxious I'm really an anxious person when we unpick it I think a lot of people just feel frightened and they don't know what to do so people feel unsure about what steps to take in life because they've got no confidence in themselves to make a decision they're scared of making the wrong decision they're scared of being intimate they're scared of being vulnerable we're really frightened because we've lost any confidence in ourselves to just go with the flow. Everything feels so weighted now, like we have to make the right decision or else. And like I said, the secret is it doesn't really matter. Ultimately, if you're making decisions based on what makes you feel joyful and good, then you're probably okay. And I said, even my eldest daughter, who's only nine, has been talking about you know, what job she might do or where she might go to university. And same thing to her, I'm like, just do something you think is going to be fun. (laughs) You've got to focus on something for like four years. Make sure you're going to enjoy it. Because unless you're one of those rare breeds of people who wakes up and goes, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer, and it's a very clear path. Most people aren't like that. So actually, just enjoy yourself. I so agree with that follow your joy and if if you follow other laughers and like what lights you up it's a bizarre how you kind of stumble on things that kind of work out it sounds so simple but I mean I interview people about this whole time and I completely forget about it it's the kind of unusual thing we're told when it should be the usual thing we're told 100 percent. it's it's bonkers isn't it and we don't teach young people and I was never taught any kind of emotional intelligence you know like how to there's a sort of assumption that we would know how to navigate the world and then when we don't it's like well you're just kind of gonna have to get on with it and figure it out Um, and actually a lot of these are tools that you can just teach and learn but yeah and I'm saying this like it's so easy I was so in that place myself so much of my healing has happened from doing this job and figuring out as I go along But I do feel like now it's so much more simple than I ever thought it was. And I think your point about getting into a meditation practice is really powerful and helping that because 
sometimes we're so desensitized to ourselves we don't really know how our body's feeling we don't actually really know what we like or you know a lot of times we um get questions like well I don't know what I just don't know what I like mm-hmm. what would be your advice to that because it's this kind of apatheticness that they do they want to break out of it they want to be passionate about something they just don't know what I'm like go find out go and play go and listen to different types of music, talk to other people, go and explore, do things that you've never done before, be brave, show up, take part, and you will find your way. And when you do that, you get in flow. And once you're in flow, everything just happens. Like you said, these kind of things kind of just work out. It's because you're in flow and the world is on your side. It's not against you. And so soon as you're taking part and you're showing up and you're present, everything just kind of has a way of working itself out. I always say to clients, like, imagine you are your best friend that you've never met before. And someone says, by the way, I'm just about to introduce you to the best friend that you're ever going to meet. And you've got to find out loads about them, though. And approach it like that. Everything about you is a new discovery. I get a lot of my clients to do vision boards So pulling together images of countries they want to visit, people they'd love to meet, experiences that they'd like to have, and just really get those kind of juices going. If you are a bit flat and you have been depressed, it's depressing. It's difficult to feel inspired and motivated. So doing anything to really shift your mood is is really important and powerful thing. And I think that's a really good point to focus on. Like Sometimes you just don't want to do this shit. About, oh, your brain is going, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do a vision board. Do I have to? And like, what advice can you give to just push forward and really do commit to these tools that you've shared today? Um, I think you can preempt quite a lot of that stuff. Mostly it doesn't sneak up on us. Um, we know when we're going down a sort of certain path and there are things you can do to preempt it. I was working with a, a client recently who really struggled to engage, really struggled to commit. She's been really poorly for a long time. She was just kind of fed up. We spent sort of an hour together and she was feeling really positive. So I got her to write a letter to herself the morning that she was next due to have a session because I knew she was going to need herself in that moment. I knew it was going to be hard for her to show up again. And the best person to get her there was going to be her. Because in those moments when we're feeling down and feeling vulnerable to remind ourselves that it's not always like that and actually things can be better it's so important Um, I get a lot of my clients and the clients in clinic to do things like put little post-its up or prompts um, stuff that's visually around to keep us kind of steered on the right track to remind us to look after ourselves years ago when I first started kind of healing and getting better I used to have three messages that would appear on my phone throughout the day like really dorky things, but that just really helped me. Like you're awesome, keep going or whatever it was. I don't even remember now, but I used to find that really helpful because I'd just get in a funk during the day and then I'd be like, oh, I can't be bothered to do that, whatever it was. And anything that just keeps nudging you along the road. Um, and then at a certain point, you don't need nudging. You kind of, you're in it and something's shifted at a more unconscious level. And a lot of clients would say, oh, I think about what you would say to me in that moment. Mm. And then after a certain point, it's not my voice anymore, it's theirs. And that that's a lovely place to be. So a lot of people have, you know, it may not be them suffering, but it's someone very close to them who's suffering. And you can often feel quite helpless when you're on the sidelines, you're trying to do everything, you're trying to encourage them to play, you're trying to kind of 
get them to do these things that you know it's going to make them feel better. How do you support someone who is not quite on their journey to healing yet, but you're desperately trying to kind of get them there? Uh, you do the work on yourself, basically. It's a hard kind of place to sit with this idea but actually you can only be responsible for yourself so when somebody is in a place of need we can reach out and we can let them know that we're there for them but ultimately we can't force people to do the work and it is challenging when you go on your own kind of healing journey and other friends don't and you see a kind of gulf appearing between you and it's really difficult to connect but it's about just trusting that you've got work to do on yourself and keep focusing on that I see this a lot with couples as well where they really complain about the other partner and what they're not doing and the work that they've got to do and all that's wrong in the relationship and then I'm like well what what work are you doing on yourself and there there's a bit of silence then that follows and really that's it we've got to work on ourselves and trust that if we do that at the very worst we're modeling something positive to our friends that are struggling you know and at best it may inspire them to do the work themselves who knows but really it's not our job to fix anybody else throughout your life who's given you the best advice and what advice was that oh I've had different advice from lots of different people at different points so it's difficult to pin it down to a certain person because I think people have just inspired me at different points I was very lucky to have a a mentor called Liz Servio who was a a therapist when I was really young and still training and she taught me a lot about judgment about not judging people because I met some very unwell people who'd done some things that would be very difficult for anybody to sit with and she taught me how brave they were for being able to share those darkest parts of themselves and I've never ever forgotten it and it really taught me a lesson about not judging people for there were, you know, moments in their lives and recognising that we're all just frail human beings. And that really, really stayed with me. That's really beautiful and something that we can all take on board, like living in a less judgmental world. And on top of that, working on being more compassionate to ourselves, I feel is really our kind of like golden route forward to creating such a different society. So that was so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Before we go, I would love to do finish the sentence round whereby I start a sentence and if you could finish it, that would be amazing. Okay. Before I go to sleep, I... Kiss my husband. When I wake up, I... Make a green tea. Mantra for life is... Have fun. The book I recommend the most is... Mine, Find Your Truth Voice. If you really knew me, you would know. I'm really shy. Oh, thank you so much. I can't tell you, this was such a powerful interview. I like, honestly, it's touched my bones. Where's the best place to find you? And as said, your book is coming out in May. So I will say that is something that I'm deeply excited for. But you host webinars, you host courses, like, and obviously you're on social media. So all of those points, love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on um, Instagram is where I deliver a lot of free content. Um, Emmy Brunner official if you want to look at the clinic and the work that we're doing there that's the recoverclinic.co.uk and if you want to find out more about me and any retreats or workshops I'm working on that's emmybrunner.com amazing and you do work only with women or can anyone sign up to the courses or is it just women all of the work that I do is open to men and women the clinic is a female only clinic 
thank you so much for your time. Just been so healing. It really has. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for listening. It would be a huge support if you wouldn't mind rating, subscribing and sharing this podcast. I also would love to hear from you. So please find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram, DM me and I would love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we discuss. Download Happy Not Perfect, my app that's designed to boost your mood and help you sleep and give you mindfulness in less than five minutes. It's packed full of science-backed tools and rituals to give your mind the care it needs. Sending lots of love and energy. See you next time. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.